Before we get started, I just want to just pray uh, briefly, just pray to God. Um, Lord, we thank you for your, your mercy and your grace and bringing us back here to another Sunday, Lord, to, that we can gather together, that we can worship you, that we can partake of the body and blood of Christ, Lord. Um, we're blessed with that. Lord, we also just give you thanks for Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, these people that lived and your interactions with them, how we can learn from them and uh, learn from the lives that, you, that, that they had and how you worked within them, Lord. So I pray that your spirit would be with us, that you would help us to understand this passage, that you would help us to learn, that you would just grant us wisdom, Lord, um, in your name. Amen. So before I get into the message this week, I just want to preface it with a brief disclaimer. So as we have just read, we have another case of a one-man and two-women situation here in Scripture. The first case being Abraham, Sarah, and Hagar. Um, we have today's case. And when we look at the lives of David and Solomon, they too had multiple wives. So why do I bring this up. Uh, I bring it up because it is a common, it's a common critique often thrown at scripture. Your Bible has polygamy, or your Bible has violence, or your Bible has this, or your Bible has that. Um, and that's true. The Bible does have these kind of things. It does have scenes of violence. It does have people, people, prophets that had multiple wives. This is true, it does. But that doesn't mean that the Bible advocates for it. That doesn't mean the Bible advocates for polygamy or violence or any of these kind of things that people often critique it and seem to think that it does. And this is what I wanted to get at, that there's a difference in Scripture and in the, Bi in the Bible between when it speaks prescriptively and when it speaks descriptively. Uh, let me explain. When you go in, when you go to the doctor, and the doctor, after your visit, he gives you your prescription. He's giving you something to take or do. You know, you go to the pharmacy and you're going to get whatever it is that he's prescribed you. But when you, when you first go in, he describes, you describe to him what's going on. And then he's telling you, what's, maybe you describe your symptoms and then he's telling you what's wrong. So it's the same with the Bible. Some scriptures are telling us what we should do. And other scriptures are describing to us what happened. So there's a, there's a, there's a difference. Prescriptive script teaching and descriptive. Um, I just wanted to make that clear as we look at today's text. Or just reading the Bible in general. It's a good principle to have when we're reading through it and these things come up. Is it prescribing something? Is it telling me to do something? Or is it describing something? Telling me what happened. Um, but to get into our text today... <clears throat> So we're picking up the story of Jacob, son of Isaac, son of Abraham. He was sent by Isaac to look for his uncle and to marry one of his daughters. This is again kind of in line and, and keeping in track with the promise that God had made to Abraham. So the covenant again is being passed on. It was passed on to Isaac, now it's passed on to Jacob, and now it's his turn to, to go forward with it. So in verses 1 to 8, which we didn't read, but it just kind of gives some background information, um, contextual information. We see Jacob arriving in his mother's homeland, meeting some shepherds and asking them about Laban, his uncle. 
Um, and then they tell him about Laban, his uncle, and Rachel, his daughter, who is on, his way with, on her way with some sheep. In verses 9 to 12 of this chapter, we see Rachel and Jacob's first interaction together, and it really sets the pace of their relationship for the immediate future within the chapter. Now, as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. So what does he do when he first sees her? First time he sees her. He labors for her. He, work, he works for her. She is there with the sheep, there to, to water them. But it's he takes the sheep and he waters the sheep. He does the work for her. He labors for her. He serves her. After his long journey, he doesn't just say, yo, get me some water while you're at it. You know what I mean? He's, he's proactive. He, ta he takes on her workload, and then he completes it. Jacob is feeling a lot of emotions here. He's left his family. He doesn't really have anything with him, but a, but a staff, really. And he is purely living off of the hope that God would provide for him, as we saw last week in the vow that he had made. So verse 11, after he watered the flock, reads, Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud. Jacob here is filled with passion. He weeps aloud after he, after he has kissed her. God has been faithful to him. He has found, he has found the woman and the people he's been looking for. Um, so they're off to a very good start. This is one of the great love stories of Scripture. <clears throat> In verses 13 and 14, we see Jacob meets Laban, and they seem to hit it off. Laban also kisses Jacob, so this kiss that was mentioned beforehand was probably a more kind of contextual embrace as opposed to a romantic kind of a kiss we would have in our minds today. So yeah, Jacob and Laban seem to hit it off, and Laban invites Jacob to stay with him. Surely you are my bone and my flesh, and he stays with him a month. But like all great love stories, things start out nice, positive, uh, but there's always just a little bit of drama down the line, and this one here is no different. So Jacob is living with Laban and his caravan, and is probably, presumably working with him, possibly farming, working more with animals, and generally just being productive. So Laban says to Jacob, because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? In other words, he's telling him, look, we're family. Let me give you something for your trouble. I'm, I won't have you work for free. So I'm sure Jacob was thinking, kind of marinating on, on what, what, what Laban could give him. But we're told in verses six, verse 16 that Laban had two daughters. Leah, the older daughter, and Rachel, the younger daughter. Rachel, who we know Jacob has already met at the well. And Leah, who is just mentioned here. Now, there's a very brief description of each. We're told that Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance, but that Leah's eyes were very weak. The overall impression of Leah, given by the text here, is that she really doesn't have a lot to offer, which is very important. I'll get back to that later on. 
So in verse 18, we are told that Jacob loved Rachel, and he said, I will serve seven years for your younger daughter. I think this is an important point to note here, because Jacob suggests to work the seven years for her. He suggests that. He suggests to work seven years. He could have just asked all the same, look, I'll have your daughter, you know, and, and, and skip the seven years of hard labor um, that he was offering Laban, and hopefully he would have gotten married. He was willing, again, to labor for his love. He was willing to work for the love that he had for Rachel. So that really, really jumped out at me uh, reading, reading this chapter. And that I need to, it got me asking that question, do I, do I work for those I love? Do I offer myself up in service in the same way Jacob did there for, his, for Rachel? And may I turn that question to you. Are you, as, are you as eager to serve the people that you love in your life as easily as Jacob was to give up seven years of his own life for Rachel? It's something to really think about. Are we as quick and as, as eager to work and serve and commit ourselves to others as Jacob was? So that's one lesson we can learn from Jacob. Another thing we can learn from him is the kind of heart we have when we serve our people. We see in verses 19 and 20 that Laban agrees to Jacob's offer and he sets about his work. But it's how Jacob works in this situation that we can really learn from. Verses 20 reads, So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love that he had for her. This work was easy for Jacob, light. He didn't make a big deal about it. He didn't, you know, like drag his feet and, you know, say, look what I'm doing for you or look at all this hard work your father is putting on me. He didn't make any excuses. It all felt like a few days for him. So how many of us can say the same? How many of us can say we serve our wives or our husbands or our friends or our siblings or our parents that exact same joy that Jacob had, that same heart that Jacob had here. I know from my own experience, I can't say I do it very often. Uh, we're big tea drinkers in our house, and Natalie mainly loves tea. So oftentimes she'll ask me to, uh, to make her a cup of tea. And I'll go, I'll make her one, perfect, grand, nice. I'll sit back down and go back to what I was doing. Generally in the evenings, even just there this morning, she's working on some projects, or she's knitting, or she's doing, doing something. So she'll ask me to make her another cup of tea. So I'll get up, I'll go, I'll make another cup of tea. Perfect. No problem. That's fine. A little bit more um, sharp about it, I guess, making the, the second cup. But when she asked me, well, when she asked me a third time to make her a cup of tea, in my head, I'm like, how many cups of tea does this woman need? <laughs> Seriously. And I drag my heels, and maybe I'll delay it. You might have to ask me a couple of times, and I begrudgingly, you know, make her the tea, and it's like, here you go, there's your tea. I make a really big job out of making a small cup of tea. Something very easy, put the kettle on, that's it. Where Jacob here makes a small job out of seven years of work. It's a big difference there between tea and seven years of labor. It all felt like a day for him. So we can assume that he didn't really complain about it. 
So the point I'm trying to make here is that if Jacob can work seven years in joy for Rachel, then surely I can make my own wife an extra cup of tea when she asks and do it joyfully. And I'm sure some of you can think of similar situations in your own lives um, similar to that one. So about that twist I mentioned beforehand, it's from this point that things are going to get a little bit dicey. So Jacob has just finished his service to Laban. He's fulfilled his side of the agreement. He's worked his seven years, and he just wants to get on, move forward. So he says to Laban, give me my wife that I may go into her, for my time is complete. His seven years are finished. He just wants to move on, get married, start his own life. So Laban throws a feast in celebration. And the time comes for Jacob to consummate his marriage, to make his marriage official. Laban swaps Rachel with Leah, tricking Jacob. So Jacob is confused, and I'll read the few verses that discuss what's happened between uh, him, Rachel, and Leah. Verses 25 to 28 read, And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, What is this that you've done to me? Then I not serve with you for Rachel. Why then have you deceived me? He's naturally really upset. He's after committing seven years, he's worked hard, and now he's on the other end of it. This time it's Jacob that's being tricked and swindled. And Laban gives him a cop-out answer that in his culture, they give the older one first, this kind of cultural practice in verse 26, which he never mentioned to Jacob at all at the beginning of all of this. So it's a little cunning on, him, on his part that all of a sudden he has a cultural reason for, to defend himself. But Leah here is a total afterthought to Laban. His own daughter is a total afterthought to her, to him. And he sees this whole thing as an opportunity to just pass her off, get rid of her, and good for him, which is really not good. He then offers to give Rachel um, to him also if he works for him another seven years. So Laban was really crafty with how he dealt with Jacob. And now Jacob is on the other side of the coin. He's feeling what it's like to be shafted, like how he deceived Esau back in the earlier chapters with the lentil soup and things like that. So again, to reiterate the practical lessons of this whole story here, church, serve those you love with joy and patience. Husbands, serve your wives. Wives, serve your husbands. Brothers, your sisters. Daughters, your parents. Friends, your peers. Everyone has someone you can serve. And if you don't, there's plenty of people in the room to get started. So that's our story for today. That's our chapter. It's a love story with a lot of twists and turns. But what if I told you that this love story points to a much greater and more powerful love story, one in which every one of you in this room is the main character? A story very similar to this one in narrative and type, only it's a little bit different. This is the story of Jesus and the church. In scripture, the church is often referred to as the bride of Christ, and Christ is often referred to as the bridegroom. He even refers to himself as this on numerous occasions. When we look at Luke chapter 5, he says, 
But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and they will fast in those days. So this is in reference to his time on earth presently, and when he won't be with us. So he refers to himself as the bridegroom. So the Bible uses this analogy of marriage to describe how believers relate to God quite often. It's quite a theme throughout all of the Bible. And this is true of not only the New Testament, but also when we look at the Old Testament, we see this exact same kind of theme within Scripture. So much so to the extent that when Israel was being idolatrous, when, it, when they were worshipping false gods, pagan gods, it's described as a type of adultery to God. If we look at Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 1, it reads, If a man divorces a woman and she goes and marries someone else, he will not take her back. For that would surely corrupt the land. But you have prostituted yourselves with many lovers, so why are you trying to come back to me? So this is in reference to God speaking to Israel, that they had worshipped many false gods, so why come back to him? This idea of marriage kind of being, being seen. So this story of love and pursuit is seen throughout all of Scripture. <laughs> but how does that relate, number one, to our text today? How does this relate to Jacob, Rachel, and Leah in this situation? And number two, how does all of that relate to us here in the present? That's, that's the question, and that's what we're going to look at. As we've seen, Jacob loved Rachel so much, his love was, was active. He was really proactive with how he, he loved this woman. In this text, it seems like every interaction the two have, he's with her, um, every interaction he has with her, he's serving her, he's laboring for her, he's working for her to some extent. Whether that be feeding her flock in the beginning of the chapter, or working those two sets of seven years towards the end of the chapter. Jacob is consistently laboring for his love, laboring for Leah, the woman that he loves, constantly working. On the other side of that, he really doesn't seem to want anything to do with Leah at all in this story. He's just, he's focused, he's on Rachel, her beauty, that's it. He's completely, that's his focus. In fact, it's made very clear that Leah in this whole story is really just disregarded. Jacob doesn't acknowledge her at all. Laban secretly wants to get rid of her. And sees this as an opportunity to just cast her off. And Jacob isn't impressed at all when he finds out he's going to have to marry her um, when the switch happens. So it's not a really good story for Leah at all. But what if I told you in that love story that we're all in, we're in the role of Leah? Only that it's not our eyes that are weak, it's our spirits that are weak. Our spirits are weak. When we look at Jesus and how he pursues the church, we see a complete inversion, complete opposite of Jacob. The Lord is not looking for the spiritually beautiful bride or the, the person that has everything in order, the perfect person. The Lord is not like Jacob in that he adores the beautiful in form, outwardly appearance. The Lord adores the weak in spirit, the Lord adores the sick, the broken, the needy. These are the people that God, that Christ, strives for. The ones that have absolutely nothing to offer. And this is really heavily reflected in his teaching. 
when he says, Come to me, all ye who are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Or when he states, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Or blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The Lord does not overlook us because of our imperfections like Laban and just seek to throw us out. The Lord seeks us because of them. He seeks us because of our imperfections. Like, I said, like he said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. The Lord labors for us like Jacob did Leah. He serves, Jesus serves from the beginning as we cast our burdens onto him. As we come to him weak and heavy laden. Just as Jacob helped Rachel with her flock, he simply took the reins and the Lord does the exact same when we commit ourselves to him in faith. And Jesus committed far more than 14 years for his bride. He, he gave his whole life for her and joyfully doing so in his life and his death and resurrection. In Hebrews 12, 2 states, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So his life and death and resurrection, he accomplished all of it and labored through it joyfully. So the Lord Jesus loves you all. And I'm not, God loves you. God in the flesh, God in, in heaven loves you. And I'm not saying that in a peace, Jesus loves you, positive vibes kind of way. I really think you need to hear that. And I would like for you to meditate on just those verses again. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So these verses are so powerful. The love Jacob had for Rachel, which really puts me in my place with how I love my wife, is far exceeded when we look at the love that Jesus has for the church. Jesus' love is profound and powerful. It's transformative. And it's why we're all here. When we look around, we are all a family because of the work that this man did, because of his love for us all individually. We are, bounded, we are bonded together by him in heaven and his work and his love. And his love for all of the church, all over the world, all in, all in Galway, all in Ireland. So let's just give thanks and celebrate that. In terms of application, I want to go back to Jacob again uh, in terms of his love and his service. That's really good. Jacob was in this situation, good example to follow. Perfect. But Jacob here points to a, a, <clears throat> a merely far greater example that we are to follow. Jacob is just a shadow of a greater, much greater love. Jacob's love is just a small little glimpse of the love that Jesus has. Jesus is the example that we are to follow. And to follow the prescriptive teaching, the teaching that Jesus prescribed here on earth, love one another as I have loved you. Love one another as I have loved you. That is what we are called to do. Simple to understand, very easy to understand, not hard at all, but not at all easy to do. 
So again, brother, love your sister as, Christ, as Jesus did. Husband, love your wife as Jesus did. Daughter, love your mother as Jesus did. And so on and so on. There is someone in your life that you can love and serve joyfully. There's someone feet, someone's feet you can wash like Jesus did the apostles. It's a challenge and it's a struggle. And I'm sure we will all feel that <clears throat> when it gets tough or when it gets frustrating. But it's in those times when we do fail, we have to go back and rely on the work that Jesus has done. We go back again to him, weak and heavy laden, and he will give us rest. He is the living water, and if we drink from him, we will never thirst. He will take our burdens and our failings, just as Jacob did Rachel's sheep in the beginning. So if you've not experienced this love or experienced this relationship with Christ, this offering, I strongly urge you to, to think about it. The Lord laid down his life for you. The Lord of the universe came to serve you. He came to serve you, just as Jacob is serving her, Rachel. He has set you free. Will you accept and will you turn to him with your load and turn away from your sins? Turn to him with your load and turn away from your sins. Let's pray. God, thank you for your mercy. Um, thank you for your grace. Thank you for the forgiveness that we have um, and just your teaching that you pursue the weak and heavy laden and that you give them rest, Lord. Pray that we would just learn that, that we would follow that, that we would just seek to be imitators of you and when we fail and we will, just to come back to you um, and to just feel your love and mercy. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.